The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, September 24th. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me and big news from the Pac-12 earlier today. The Pac-12 CEO group announced that the conference will resume its football basketball and winter sports seasons more or less effective immediately because it's a basketball podcast we'll just focus on basketball pac-12 teams will be allowed to start the season november 25th just like everybody else so at this point every league in the country except for the ivy league far as we know is planning to play starting in november this development of course comes after the pac-12 back on august 11th announced that no Pac-12 teams would compete before January 2021. So this is obviously a reversal. Norlander, why did the Pac-12 change its mind 44 days after initially making its mind up? Parrish, why is the Pac-12 group of presidents and chancellors referred to as the CEO group? It's it. I, I don't know, but I noticed that as well. What's going on? And it's perfect. It's like just, just it's your presidents and your chancellors and whatever that we have a CEO group. It's it's perfect. CEO group. What are we doing here? I, I just uh, that I couldn't help but notice that um, the Pac-12. So we're recording this here on Thursday night after the Pac-12 had its uh, Zoom call. I believe it was referred to as a webinar. As we're if we want to really uh, get into the, the the proper terminology as far as the Pac-12 is concerned um, of explaining that very thing. Uh, multiple things they pointed to. One was the Quidel test. You know, the Pac-12 was the first to get, or at least agree to publicly, um, pay for daily rapid testing. Those tests are due to arrive, as, as I understand it, in like the next week at Pac-12 schools. And then you got to, you know, the right people got to learn how to use them correctly. That was one f- factor in it. Um, it also cited more research with cardiac issues, which was a big sticking point with, with, Big Ten and Pac-12, they say that was it as well. I'm going to read directly off the statement here just to give our listeners a clear-eyed or a relatively clear-eyed reason why. Um, here's what they say. The Pac-12 CEO group announced today that, the, that based upon updated Pac-12 COVID-19 Medical Advisory Committee recommendations that take into account material changes to testing capabilities, the prevalence of COVID-19 and cardiac issues, along with updated state and local health Official guidance, the conference will resume football, basketball, and winter sports seasons. So another big factor in all this is the situations uh, across that region in the Pac-12 as it pertains to restrictions with COVID-19 have improved for the most part. I will note that on this very day here, Colorado's not in that group. Uh, Boulder County has issued, how about this? If you are between the ages of 18 and 22, 
You are not allowed to hang out with another person you don't live with that is also between the ages of 18 and 22. That is now an ordinance. So uh, as it was explained to me, for example, with Colorado being cleared to start the season in November and maybe hopefully be able to start practice officially on October 14th, like uh, the starting forward for Colorado is not technically allowed to play like one-on-one with one of his teammates. Now, maybe it's one of his coaches because that person is not 18. If, if Tad Boyle wants to start working on some post games, uh, you know, tomorrow, whatever, I think that's allowed. But Colorado is actually in an interesting spot right now. And when you look at their football stuff, it's uh, a bit of a competitive disadvantage. But the situation has helped and, and changed in California. Uh, Gavin Newsom uh, played a part in that. And as I understand it, and has I've understood it from the start, GP, uh, UCLA and Stanford were really the two most prominent voices that led to the decision to start with with this Pac-12 stuff. And when we rewind it, like the whole reason why I had that story up three weeks ago about there being this hope that this could be reversed was, you know, UCLA, Stanford, and one or two other presidents kind of just threw winter sports in with the fall sports, and it it completely sideswiped uh, ads and coaches in the basketball side. So that's why we are here. I got one more thing for you, Paris, and take it away. I will note this: I talked with the conference commissioner earlier on Thursday, and they brought something up. It wasn't a criticism; it was just a don't you think this is kind of interesting? I don't know what this necessarily says other than obviously money is driving these things. But if we if we were to rewind college sports to six weeks ago, four weeks ago, you had the Big Ten and the Pac-12 out. The MAC was the first to make its decision that it wasn't going to play. The Mountain West was obviously in that same boat. And as we record this podcast, the Mountain West is anticipated to reverse its decision. The MAC presidents are going to meet on Friday to reverse its decision with football. And the commissioner just said, you know... Hopefully these reasons, uh, beyond the obvious ones with money, are being done in such a way that we're going to be able to look up and live with ourselves as NCAA administrators in the middle of November and December, and we're going to get through this. But it's going to look really bad if stuff goes bad when you had these school and these conferences make these decisions we're okay with them, and now it's just like no one wants to be the uncool kid. One one conference makes that decision, then another, and everyone's got to be piled in. It was an interesting observation, so as we talk about the Pac-12, just know that there are certain conference commissioners that are just looking from afar being like, I get why they're doing it, but hopefully they're really doing it for the right reasons, and this can actually be pulled off because I think it's, a li- it's just being approached with a little bit of some skepticism and a little bit of caution. Sure. I, I, I do think there's something to be said for – um, when you were out with the Big Ten, then you were out with the Big Ten. And maybe you guys, especially considering when we're watching five or six or seven football games get canceled or postponed every weekend, there was a chance like you guys together could end up looking like the smart, responsible, cautious leagues. But when the Big Ten jumps out there, now you're now you're by yourself. And I do think that that plays some role. I, I don't know that it's the... Uh, the, the biggest factor mm-hmm. in, in the Pac-12 reversing course. But, you know, as smart as the people are in that CEO group, um, they're also humans. And the, the humans are, are, can be swayed by, you know, these types of things. So I, I do think there's something to that. I, I think the, the, the bigger explanation or more accurate explanation for why they reverse course is just because um, things have changed. You know, they, they now have access to daily testing in the Pac-12. You know, the CDC just updated uh, mortality rates or survival rates, however you want to, to, to label it, connected to COVID-19, and they are better than what had previously been reported. Uh, I know that 
simply living or surviving COVID-19 is not the only thing that should be taken into account. Uh, you can have long-term uh, effects from this virus. It appears, um, you know, e- e- you know, e- e- even if you, uh, you know, survive COVID-19, it doesn't mean that you're, you're not without issue. And so there's a lot of things that factor in, but the truth is that over the past 44 days, we've learned more about this virus and testing capabilities, at least for the PAC 12 and big 10 as well are, are at a better place. So they don't have to convince me that they're making the right decision now for the right reasons. I'll take them at their word. What I'll never understand though, is why on August 11th, they had to be so definitive about what they weren't going to do in November and December. That's the part that doesn't make any sense, didn't make any sense then, doesn't make any sense today, especially considering what they announced today. Now, let me be clear. It does not mean that the Pac-12 is to be criticized or ridiculed for erring on the side of caution. Um, You know, as someone who lives in a state where too many people stupidly scream COVID-19 is a hoax or it's just like the flu, uh, where too many people won't wear masks in public, I commend anybody who, and and anything that, airs on the side of caution. So the Pac-12 should not be criticized or ridiculed for back on August 11th, airing on the side of caution. It's just that making a definitive statement in early August about what will and will not be possible or practical in November and December never made a lick of sense. Like if there's one thing we know about this pandemic, it's that we learn more about it and how to handle it or mishandle it every week. One week, it takes my wife 14 days to get a test result back. Next week, it takes 15 minutes. You know, we're learning more about this every week. So the idea that you wouldn't have the foresight to recognize back on August 11th that, hey, we don't need to make any grand decisions about November, December yet, because we don't know what that's going to look like even 44 days from now. Again, just nonsensical. What the Pac-12 should have said on August 11th, if they had to say anything at all, is something along these lines. You know, based on what we know right now, we do not anticipate allowing our schools to play football or men's or women's basketball before January 2021. But obviously, that's not a decision we need to make in early August. So we will continue to monitor this virus and any progress made when it comes to testing or treatment. And then we'll make a decision on men's and women's basketball and football at a later and more appropriate time. Like if you say that, it buys you time. It's totally sensible. Everybody understands. But when you say what you said on August 11th and then you totally reverse course on September 24th, it makes you look a little ridiculous. To be clear, all's well that ends well, I guess. But, man, they took a pretty clumsy path getting here. They did, uh, but they are here. So uh, a few things for people to keep in mind. Um, Pac-12 schools have been, you know, just begging opponents and MTE organizers behind the scenes to just keep them in their events because there was the expectation that this was going to happen. I mean, I was told by multiple schools that um, ADs were communicating to their staffs uh, earlier on Thursday and on Wednesday that this was done. Like, it was, it had been agreed upon. It was just a matter of whatever, you know, things they had to do to make it official, official on Thursday, that's fine. But uh, 
while having a little bit of guarded opt, uh, guarded optimism, if you will, on, on Thursday evening, like coaches understood that that this was going to happen. It would have it would have been a miracle in the exact wrong way uh, for it not to have happened. I asked Larry Scott, the commissioner, on a Thursday media Zoom call um, if this just means that if if your local county allows for it, can school start on October fourteenth of practice? He said yes. I asked him if the conference planned on playing league games in December, which I understand to be the case with every other power conference. Not yet official, but those conversations are happening. He did not commit to that. I will remind listeners, because you might have missed this, but last year, December of last year, Pac-12 announced it was going to 20 league games and actually even announced the matchups that would be played in uh, December of 2020 or late November as well. Um Yes, one on Sunday, November 29, that might have to get moved, and then into the first week of December there between all those schools. Um, He didn't expand upon that. I would say expect that. I've been told by multiple sources that the the absolute expectation is that the Pac-12 is going to go to 20. If it goes from 20 back to 18, it's going to be because the coaches and or athletic directors are going to express that they think they have better opportunities to get what they need to get in non-conference play than conference. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to see Pac-12 play conference games in December. They're going to play 20 league games overall. So keep that in mind. I would I would presume we'll have an answer definitively on that within the next two weeks with the Pac-12 specifically. A lot of conferences are trying to figure out the details of that and then you know kind of go behind the curtain a little bit more here with all this. You have power conferences trying to determine when they should play their league games in December. And now that the Pac-12 is in, it's a significant thing because until it was official, like you had MTEs and other opponents, they weren't able to move on anything. Like, it's just been this huge, like, can we get on with this? They were hoping they were going to have an answer last Friday, and that didn't happen. Um, but now I do think we might see the the gears greased in terms of the scheduling stuff. So the Pac-12, in addition to just being a headline parish with them doing this, it's actually significant to getting us to where we need to go, uh, at least getting closer to building a non-conference schedule in November and December with MTEs and with standalone games in general. And with the Pac-12 going to 20, the AAC also going to 20, it really does get tough for the lows and mids to, to find games. I mean, uh, I, I, under normal circumstances, correct me if I'm wrong, like in a normal season, you, you get 31. Yes. You now get, it's down you to 20. Yeah, you get, now it's down to 27. If you're, in an MT, then, if you're in an MTE and just... Correct. And if you're not, like, that's also messing everything up. They wish that... They, I've heard from... 15 people that said, I wish the NCAA just said you get 27 games max. However you want to get there, you want to get there. But there's this weird thing, because this is what's screwing the the mids, GP, is that if you don't play in an MTE, you can get 24, 25 games in tops, and then that screws them even more because their opportunities are dwindling. So you're tapping into something where it's like a, it's a frustration for more than half the sport right now. Right. So under normal circumstances, let's say a Louisville or North Carolina or a Kentucky or a uh, Kansas, you know, they got, or any power conference team, you know, they've got 31 slots. All right, now that's now that's down to twenty-seven. So you're losing four possibilities, and and there and then and then the mids and lows that might schedule these type of teams are losing two more opportunities. At least when it comes to the leagues that are going from eighteen league games to twenty, so that's six slots of possible games where you could theoretically get scheduled, but now you're not going to have that opportunity. And when you combine that. Um, with, with the fact that some high majors just don't want to play low majors and mid majors under these circumstances. Um, I, I think more than normally, you're going to have to see lows and mids relying on each other 
to get whatever non-league schedule they're going to try to get. I agree. Uh, a couple things on this here, because I do think this will be something we inevitably wind up talking about even more on next week's podcast and the week after that, because the schedule is just going to start to firm up and these things are going to be confirmed and they're going to be official. But I will say this. I talked with a head coach at a, at a top 10 program a few days ago, and he expressed to me, he laid out everyone they had on their non-conference schedule, uh, not including the games they lost from November 10 to November 24, obviously. And it's a it's a good schedule. But he said... This is too good. So we actually need to make a decision here on which one or two games we think we can get out of because I do want to play one or two mid-majors. There's going to be a little bit of a window. It just depends on who you are in the circumstances. Not everyone's going to get totally screwed, and I think a lot of coaches feel that way. I think a few others are going to take every big opportunity they can get. But if you're if you're coaching a mid or a low major, there are going to be top 50 type programs that are going to try and get at least one of those games in, maybe two. But again, it's shrunk down. If you're in a 20 game conference schedule, you got seven tops and three of those could be taken up by an MTE. Even more than that, if you're going to try and get these games in, and let's just say Orlando, which is going to host all these tournaments, um, all right, you play three in your MTE, and then can you maybe get two more there? just as like standalone games. I think we're going to have that. Parrish is absolutely on the money when he talks about these mids and lows having to schedule each other. But keep in mind this. It's also going to probably have to come down to geography as well and the need to be improvisational as the schedule dictates. What I mean by that is this. There is all of these restrictions in all these states. Just as one, just to give you one example here. Um... Like, if Vermont was scheduled to play in an MTE in Florida, it's not going to do that, okay? It's not going to do that for a number of reasons, but one of the most important ones is that Vermont's not allowed to go to Florida without a 14-day quarantine, and that's going to be the case around a lot of these programs, and no one really knows by the time we get to November if those restrictions are going to reduce or not because flu season's coming, there's a lot of speculation about whether the coronavirus cases are just going to steadily rise again, Parrish. And so if that's the case, where you can go to play games is going to have restrictions on it. And in fact, it, you might see an inordinate amount of schools in the same state because they're within their own borders be willing to play each other. I want to be clear on one thing, though. We might not have that be the initial plan, but I do believe a lot of schools are going to have behind closed doors handshake agreements where school A, let's just use my home state, school A in Connecticut and school B in Connecticut say, you know what, we're not scheduled to play each other, but if something happens and we look up and we both lose our games and we got 72 hours to make it up, we're going to play each other. Because you're seeing it done in football, you better believe it's going to be done in basketball. And I think slowly but surely, schools and coaches are coming to that realization that even if they are going to release a schedule on October 10th parish, that's probably not the schedule they're going to wind up playing once we get to November 25. Right. And you start to wonder at the low major and mid major level. And, and then we can move on. Um, like it, if the, if you're not getting big paychecks to play high majors, like you normally would, and you're reduced to playing lows, uh, fellow lows and mids. At what point do you just say, what's the point in playing these games? Like, you know, you, you can't build an at-large resume. If you're a low major or mid-major, you can't build an at-large resume just playing other low majors and mid-majors. So if that's what you're reduced to, at what point do you just say, you know what, let's just not even, like, we'll, we'll play four non-league games against whoever, then we'll do our conference, and then, you know, we'll, we'll try to get our auto bid. I, I wonder if you will really see a Kentucky – or a Louisville play 27, and then 
not Vermont, but something like a Vermont, just, you know, play 17. I think you might be onto something, but why don't you give them a little tease and we can get to that after the break. So the NCAA Board of Governors is expected to meet on Friday, tomorrow, to discuss, among other things, testing guidelines for the upcoming basketball season. Norlander had that bit of news earlier today. We'll get into it next, but first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. So the NCAA Board of Governors is expected to meet Friday to discuss, uh, again, among other things, testing guidelines for the upcoming basketball season. Norlander, you tweeted it. Tell me what you know. Okay, so this break, this bleeds right into what we just discussed here. So there's a new COVID-19 advisory panel that's looking at a lot of stuff specifically for basketball and what's going to need to be done. And uh, that COVID-19 advisory panel has been working on an updated document of recommendations for what needs to be done in basketball season to abide by certain protocols. Uh, that document, which has not been made public, and I have not seen the document, has uh, was shared earlier this week with both the board of directors and then on a call on Wednesday with a representative from every conference, it might have been a commissioner, could have been an AD, uh, could have been someone else. Um, Brian Hainline, who's the lead uh, medical guy with the NCAA, basically just laid out, generally speaking, what they want to do and what they want to accomplish. So on Friday, I don't know exactly what's going to happen on Friday, but I do know this. The Board of Governors are going to meet, and this is going to be brought up in that meeting along with some other stuff. I don't know if this is going to be an out-and-out rule, but... We are getting to a point here where you should expect that the official recommendation and the guidelines will be, once the season starts, you need to test three times a week minimally on non-consecutive days, so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, however you want to get that done. Um, And that will be true of players, coaches, every official and referee. That is going to be a, a... an entry point to being eligible to compete in Division One. What we don't know yet, if that's going to be a D1-wide rule, or if it's going to be this sort of, you know, we are presenting this to the membership, and then really every conference is going to say, 
obviously we're not going to go against this because if we for some reason say, you know what, we hear you three times a week, but uh, we good here with once a week. That's that's just a beyond awful look. You, it's it's not looking out for the health and safety of the players and the coaches and all that. So expect the conferences to abide by that. Now, how this connects, and I do expect a release to be sent out on Friday with all of this stuff. And there could be other things they still have to get to in terms of game competition, spacing out the benches and scores tables. I don't think that's happening on Friday, but that will be coming soon. How this affects what we just talked about in the previous segment, Parrish, is <laughs> there are obviously schools that right now don't believe that they can afford that kind of testing. Now, I want to be clear here and give a little bit of optimism and hope, because that's what we're about on this podcast, that I have talked with administrators connected to mid-major programs and conferences who have informed me, they say, listen, we haven't trumpeted this thing, but there are schools where they are providing testing for their athletes and it's the school is absorbing the cost. It's not costing the athletic department anything. And I'm talking like low major schools. So I do think there is going to be a reality that some of these schools are going to have a very hard time testing three times a week. But I think we might look up and be surprised by just how many actually can make it work and can make this happen and play a non-conference schedule. But with all of that said, I can tell you this. I already know that the Pac-12 and the Big 12 have already decided, even if it's not been like officially announced, they've already decided if you're going to play someone outside your conference, they have to match your testing X amount of days before the game, whether that's three, five, or seven days. And what needs to be decided is if the Big 12 and the Pac-12, and if this is true of other big conferences perish, are they going to pay the opponent for the testing? Something that will happen. And when they do it, then it's going to come out of the buy game money. Because in, in all of this, don't forget about the fact, as you well know, like so many of these schools are relying on this money. Even if the check goes from 90 or 80K down to 40 or 30K, and then you drop off another 10K because of testing, those mid-majors are going to have to decide. I think you're absolutely right. We're going to have mids and lows. They're going to have lower totals. And I do think we will have situations. I don't know how many. I do think we're going to have situations where some conferences or schools look at this and they say, all right, three times a week, that's really just too much for us. We think we can do this if we save until the conference season. We don't want to do it, but we got to bow out from playing in November and December. We'll see you once league play starts, and that's going to have to be uh, the season that counts for us. So just keep that all in mind because a lot of coaches and athletic directors are very interested to see how these recommendations actually get implemented and how that also affects the schedule. All this stuff with the schedule is so up in the air because they still don't have answers for that, and they need to determine it, and it's it's a real fight behind the scenes with, uh, with certain schools playing other schools, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it's going to be interesting if it's a requirement or a recommendation. If it's a requirement, now you've got some low majors and mid-majors that really got some money problems. If it's a recommendation, then I can tell you how this is going to go. The schools that have the money to do it are going to do it, and the schools that don't, won't. And then the schools that do it aren't going to play the schools that won't. Um, yeah. For the most part. Like, I took my family to the zoo on Sunday. It was a nice day, no humidity. In the South, you better take advantage of that. And plus, we just wanted to get out of the house and walk around a little bit. And uh, as we entered the zoo, you know, we got out of our car and it was my wife and I and, and our two youngest boys, the oldest, we, we can never do anything as a complete family. Uh, it's just, you can't get everybody on board. So the oldest is like, I'll go to the zoo. It's the little guys aren't going. It's like, well, of course the little guys are going. Well, then I'll just stay home. So uh, it's me and my wife and, and our two little guys. And we all put our mask on and we walk into the zoo. And as we're walking in, it says the Memphis Zoo has a mask recommendation. Oh, not, not, re not requirement, recommendation. So let me tell you how that works. Yeah, how'd that work out for you? 
everybody who is taking this virus seriously and trying to do the responsible thing, those people had masks. And everybody who didn't, didn't. And so it was probably about 30, 70 mask wearing. 30% of us had them. 70% didn't. It's the South, man. What do you want me to do? What do you, this is, this is where I live. I'm outnumbered down here in Norlander. I'm doing, I'm doing the best I can, but that's what a recommendation is. Recommendations do not work. Like there was a time where my local grocery store had a mask recommendation and that meant I would walk in in a mask and like eight out of 10 people wouldn't. And then it became a mask requirement. And then like everybody you saw was wearing a mask. And so testing recommendation will just be exactly that. A requirement is a game changer. And I would assume it's going to be a recommendation, not a requirement, because the NCAA knows that not all of these schools are going to be able to test three times a week. I really do think if you tell a school, a conference, you can't play unless every one of your schools is testing three times a week, that's when you'll have some conferences. And I think we've touched on this before. That's when you'll have some conferences just say, well, we can't do this. I mean, if you look at football right now, they had some leagues opt out of the season. And when they do it, they say for the health of our players and student athletes and blah, blah, blah. But if you look at who's playing football and who's not, it really breaks down who's got money and who doesn't. That, that, that's, that's how it breaks down. Who's got, who's got all the money in the world and who doesn't? Well, that's who's playing football. That's who's not playing football. And if you start making a three-time-a-week requirement to play college basketball, then that you, you will start to see some leagues just say, we, we can't do this. Um, that's why I suspect – Let's just stop here for a second. Do you think it'll be a recommendation, not a requirement? Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I do want to be clear with one thing here, um, and this is undeniably semantics, GP, and it's why I want to see what happens Friday. The word that keeps getting referenced with me and what I keep seeing is guidelines. Does guideline mean requirement? I don't know, but I will just reinforce this. Uh, From the couple of conference commissioners I've spoken with, the expectation when you're in that position as a conference commissioner is when when the NCAA comes out with this kind of thing, it's like... This is what we're doing. So these are going to be mandates on a league-by-league basis. I just think that every conference commissioner will do that because I'm not seeing a situation where you get in that position you and you allow that kind of wiggle room uh, because, again, you can come back and face some really harsh criticism with, like, okay, it says three times a week, and you're going to say we're good for once a week because of money? Well, what about the health and safety of our athletes? I just don't think any – I think every league's going to mandate it. What I don't know is if it's going to be legitimately – a division one rule. Cause Dan Gavitt told me on the record, that is technically a possibility. I just don't know if it's going to come to be or not. I, I can tell you this. There are some schools right now that are already testing three times a week. They're basketball players. All right. Yeah. yeah uh, for I talked sure. I, I, I talked yeah. talk to somebody who works at, let's say a low major. He said his players have been tested once. Once ever. And so, I mean, he just flat said it. He said, GP, there there is no way we can test three times a week. No way. I've heard this too. If they tell us we got to test three times a week, we ain't playing basketball. That's what he he said. And so that's why I don't think they're going to say that. It'll be a recommendation. And then it'll be now you guys settle it however you settle it. So then then I think there's, there's, there's a few different ways this breaks down. One is certain high major schools will just say, well, that's it. We're not, it, it, we're not telling you you have to pl- test three times a week, but if you're not testing three times a week, we're not playing you. Just That's over. We don't need that many non-league games anyway, so we're not playing you. 
Then there will be some that say, okay, we know you can't afford to test three times a week and it'll be exactly what you laid out earlier, but we want to play you on this date. So 10 days before that, we'll pay for your test. And then three days later, we'll pay for your test again. And then three days later, we'll pay for your test again. Three days later, we'll pay for your test again. If you're all good, come play us. And then, um, you know, that, that check that we were going to give you, we'll just take it out of that check. You'll still get some money. You'll get to play and we'll just, basically we're, we're going to, we'll pay for the testing, but then we'll deduct it from what we were going to give you. I think that'll happen. And, um, and then I think what you'll see in addition to what I just described is some low majors and mid majors say, all right, have you tested this month? Okay, cool. We've only tested once this month too. Let's just play each other. Let's let our sick kids play each other. <laughs> like I think that'll it'll be like, hey, what do we got to lose? Let's just get them on the court together. And 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 that's the way I, I that's the way I would envision it playing out. And then the great equalizer comes when you get to the NCAA tournament. The NCAA will obviously say, hey, Summit League champion, we know you've only been testing once a week all season, but now you're in the NCAA tournament. We're covering everybody's testing, and now you'll be tested at the same level that the Kentucky players are tested. That, that, I think that, that's how you solve that problem. But in, a, in advance yeah. of that, it's just going to be what it is, I think. Obviously, the NCAA is going to pay for all the testing when we get to the tournament. I We will see. I think that every we have 32 Division One conferences, and if all 32 play league games, I think that all 32 are going to mandate at least three times a week. I, I do think that will happen. And if there, if we come to learn that a couple can't afford it and they just don't play seasons, maybe that'll be. I'm just going off of what I've been told here. What I do want to add is this, Parish. I had a story go up Monday about how these MTU organizers, in no small part, they are like helping salvage the non-conference season. And these organizers are going to pay for the testing. So other mid-majors are going to, and low majors even, are going to be saved in part. Even if they only get in three games, they're going to be saved in part because the testing is going to be provided to them. Granted, if they can travel and go to these states, I mean, there's just so much still that has to be figured out. Like people that think that we're getting a non-conference schedule in college basketball next week are dreaming. I don't think we're getting one by mid-October, maybe late October. But one of the sites is Vegas, and I do love this idea. Um, BD Global, run by a guy named Brooks Downing, who's got a team. I mean, he has basically verbal agreements and enthusiasm from the Big West, the Big Sky, the WCC, not including Gonzaga, of course, um, the WAC, the Mountain West, and even some Pac-12 teams. That's six conferences based on the West. They are all game to go in December and stay at uh, stay at Mandalay Bay, use a couple of different arenas, and it's not a bubble, controlled environment, if you will, okay? And get in anywhere from two, four, six, eight non-conference games, if you want, and do it over a five, seven, ten-day period. I do think that's got serious legs. There's another thing in the piece you can read about Indianapolis, which is trying to to get it done, and we'll we'll even see if that can happen. I think it's got a decent chance to do some in-league stuff. So it's going to be super interesting to see if those kind of events can get a lot of teams. Parish, I it's. 
I think that I think the Vegas thing is going to happen, and I think it could happen. Like I think we would look up and we're going to see like 32 teams in Vegas playing non-conference games in December, which is wild to think about. But um, it's just the most cost-effective thing for these schools at this point. And when you have commissioners on the record talking about this that they want to make it happen, uh, I think it is a good thing for the sport because I know most I know most people don't care about Big Sky teams. I get all that, but like these are leagues that help form the cross-pollination of college basketball season, and it would it would flat out suck if we saw half the sport unable to play non-conference games. So it's good to see that there is a lot of opportunities for a lot of teams out there. I'll, I'll leave on this one other thing, GP, because uh, we'll get more into it next week. Just know this, with the Orlando stuff and Disney, like there are multiple teams that are not playing in those events, and it just hasn't become public knowledge yet. There, It's not 100%, but it's 99% there. So just know that a lot of these fields are inevitably going to change. They might shrink from 8 to 4, 8 to 6. You'll get some teams here. You might swap teams one for the other. I have a hard time believing most of the teams out west in the Pac-12 are going to be going east. We'll wait and see. Arizona's supposed to play in the IIT. We'll wait and see on that. And there's stuff with, like, you know, will UCLA want to play in the CBS Sports Classic if it's out east? I would think so, but we'll wait and see. There's just so much to figure out. The testing, if you don't have testing, you don't have anything and league's got to make a lot of hard decisions soon about what they can do in terms of affording and if they take the cost or if it's school by school. And and the other thing, you know, just to you know, circle back to the point I made about the Pac-12 earlier, um, if you are a league that is, you know, you, you don't have the same resources that, say, the SEC or the Big Ten has, um, a lot could change between now and November in terms of testing capabilities. Like, what, what doesn't seem possible – or affordable now could be possible and affordable then. And so that's why um, you don't have to make any big decisions right now. I think if you are a low major or mid major, you should be planning on that. You're going to be able to do what you need to do to play starting November 25th. And if you get there and you can't, then you get there and you can't, but plan as if you'll be able to, because we just don't know what this country is going to look like, what testing is going to look like exactly by November 25th. Before we get out of here, uh, one last thing. The NBA playoffs have turned into a battle of Kentucky alums. We're recording this on Thursday night. Right now, it's 940 Eastern. Game four, Lakers Nuggets is happening. But the past three playoff games have featured big efforts from former Kentucky stars. On Sunday night, it was Anthony Davis and his buzzer beater. Then on Tuesday night, it was Jamal Murray and his big fourth quarter. And then on Wednesday night, it was Tyler Hero and his game high, what, 37 points in the Eastern Conference Finals to put the Heat one win away uh, from the NBA Finals. Norlander, listen, uh, of the players I just mentioned, um, and I should – Bam Adebayo has also been awesome for Miami. Of the players I mentioned, everybody knew Anthony Davis was going to be unbelievable as a pro. That's why he was the number one pick and would have been the number one pick no matter who was selecting. What surprises you more? Jamal Murray also being awesome? Bam Adebayo also being awesome? Or Tyler Hero also being awesome? Let's rewind the clock real quick on these uh, three players here. So Bam was expected to be awesome when he was. They all were. Let's let's be real. But like Bam was teammates with Dennis Smith on the grassroots circuit, and there was a, there was like real curiosity if Bam Adebayo would be like a top three freshman in college basketball when he got to uh, when he got to Kentucky there, and he had a good, not great one and done season, and he is now. I mean, <laughs> he is 
quickly becoming like I, I want to say like close to a, a top twenty five player. He made the All Star game uh, like in the yeah. NBA. Like he's got the play of the playoffs, man. The block is uh, we've had a ama- we've had so many awesome plays, but I think regardless of what happens with the Heat, they look like they're heading to the finals and whether they win or not, whatever. To me. It, there's been no shortage of amazing moments, both in terms of on the court and then obviously with all the social justice stuff that's been going on. But to me, I think, come on, Bam, Bam's block, that's that's the play of the playoffs right now, right? Sure, yeah. I agree. Come I on. agree. I mean, Anthony Davis's shot yeah, big is time. probably yeah. right there, but but Bam's... Listen, um, that was an amazing shot from AD under those circumstances. We see those shots all the time. You don't see blocks at the rim like that. That was ridiculous. Like, and what was most interesting about Bam's block on Jason Tatum is that Tatum, you know, Tatum, Tatum got into a launching area yes. and cocked it on him. Oh yeah, and Bam blocked it with his offhand, his left hand. And how often do you see? You never see a block like that that awesome at the rim, particularly with the stakes that high. But any block you see at the rim, somebody is always screaming for a foul because there is usually some contact. Even Jason Tatum didn't ask for a foul. (laughs) The idea that he blocked it with his wrist inside the rim and no body contact, nothing at all, I, I listen. I'm not a historian. I always say that, but it's the best block I can imagine in playoff history. I know LeBron's uh, rundown block on. I'll take Iguodala. LeBron's over it because of the moment, and it was still impressive. And also, LeBron was not a spring chicken. I mean, he was still in his prime. But that's I'll I'll slightly take that over. Yeah, if you're talking like just pure like the execution of it, uh, then Bam's would went out. Yeah, right. It just in like LeBron's is. I mean, it it changed. It, it, it led to a world title, yeah. okay? So, whatever, I, I, I'll give you that. Context, maybe you go with LeBron. But in terms of like, hey, just watch this, Bam's block was better. So, it has been, I'll tell you what, like, we've got the NFL going on, uh, and you got the NBA Finals happening, Simon. Like, all these sports, really, it has been, like, it's not lost to me that, you know, April, May, June, July, we were just starving, and it's like, it's it's weird, but so welcome to, like, having to like come up to the office and go dual TV and be like, I got to watch NFL and I got to watch NBA at the same time. But I, I say that to bring up that like the amount, the the play in this NBA bubble has been ridiculous and it has fed, like I love college basketball. I like the NBA. I like the NBA. I don't get into the NBA until usually like get into it. Like, okay, game's on. I'm going to watch it. That doesn't happen for me until after the final four and really like, second round of the playoffs. I have been as interested in the NBA playoffs as I would normally be for like non-conference college basketball. And I think a lot of that's because we haven't had sports. And I would think that some listeners would agree. And it has been so amazing to see how amazing the play has been. Dude, and I'll get to Hero and Murray in a second. I want, But I want to I touch on this real quick because I had a tweet about it a few days ago. Parrish, you and I have both been on the road for days at a time, like usually final four is like a six day, seven day trip. I've done a, I've done a few work trips where I've actually been on the road, like 12, 13 days consecutively. I know you've done that as well. Sure. We're not professional athletes, obviously. Um, although Paris thought he could have made it in the MLB, but that's a podcast for another time. You know how like your life gets when you are living out of a suitcase in a hotel after like four days, these dudes have been, and I've been, I'm not the biggest Disney World guy, but I, I actually had to go to a wedding there like nine years ago. Stay in one of these exact like Disney resorts. You know the kind of hotel they're staying in, even if it's a relatively good one. You got Donald Duck paraphernalia all over the walls around the corner, and it's just monotonous because and they are still like they're they are still putting on 
ridiculous displays, amazing games. The quality of play after this elongated break, uh, you know, maybe I'm in the minority, but I don't know, man. Like, this is unreal, and I don't know what other factors are playing into it. No crowd. Is it helping? Is there a certain looseness there? I don't know, but they're, the NBA has done an incredible job providing uh, a television experience, and it seems to be an in-arena experience that has just elevated these dudes to the point where you have younger guys bring it back to Hero and Murray and Bam and some others, Donovan Mitchell earlier, and plenty of others. They're playing better in the playoffs, it feels, on the whole, than you ever normally see from younger teams in the playoffs. Well, I, I, I've talked to people about this. Like, Why is the quality of basketball great and 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 better than it would normally be? And the answers I've gotten are—they're all over the place. Um, I, I, meaning, there's a, there seems to be a lot of different factors. It's not just one thing. One is there's no travel. These guys aren't bouncing around the country, you know, arriving in a new city at four a.m. Valid. So that's that's that. I mean, what is there to do after? Okay, so that you're not in a plane. You're not wrapping up a game at ten o'clock. Media done by ten forty-five. Um, out the arena eleven thirty on a plane, 12.15, land in your new city, 2 o'clock, bus to the hotel, 3 o'clock, none of that. There's also nowhere to go. Like I had one agent tell me early on in the bubble, he was like, James Harden's not banging some random every night in a different city. Like he just goes to his hotel room. This is back when nobody was allowed in the bubble, right? He's like, so like James Harden's probably sleeping normally for the first time in his entire career. And I don't mean to say, I don't mean to put it on James Harden, but that is the he example did. the that's agent right. used. Yeah. That, that's the example the agent used. So there's no bars, no, no, no clubs. Nothing to do. I know, but it's hard to fight being lethargic in that t t to me as well, right? Like when you're like, I don't know. The hotel environment doesn't inspire a lot of activity. You know, it's not just it's not a lively place, which is why your points are all valid. But um, I just yeah, I just I just thought the legs might be weaker. It's not the case, man. These guys are good to go, and it's just it's been awesome. No, so so it's those things I think, and it's also no fans. I think no fans adds to the quality of basketball. Like these are amazing athletes. They're also humans. Like you you can get you know twenty thousand people can like have an impact on you either positively or negatively and not having that the shooting's better um it, it's really been high caliber basketball like a, a lot of a lot of fun to watch and watching you know jamal murray inner star mode like you know now people think of him as a star um you know donovan mitchell had some of that earlier in the playoffs um and now Tyler Hero, man. Like, if you redid the 2019 draft right now, where would you take him? All right. Do you, do you have the list up in front of you? If you don't, I'll... I mean, I basically know it. You know... He went, I know he went, what, 14? 13. He went 13. Um, okay, let's just you, start you here. Still you, take, Zion, you, take, you still go Zion 1. You have to. You still go John Morant 2. You still go John Morant 2. Um, who else I, is he, in the conversation to go 3 ahead of Hero at the moment? Probably R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish. R.J. Barrett for sure. Reddish has been for good enough. sure. Well, I, I don't know who R.J. Barrett is, but I'm going to take your word on that. Um, oh, yeah. Cam, Cam Reddish. Uh, was Cam Reddish good enough in one season to validate that? He, he had some. He did some things that made people go, "Ooh, Cam okay. Reddish went too low in the draft." Okay, fair enough. Kobe White was pretty awesome, but uh, the point is, Hero is definitely top six. Um, let me just speak to him real quick and, and Jamal Murray. Tyler Hero is interesting because he was like going to Wisconsin from there and then 
his star just blew up. Kentucky came in. It was game over. And he was, first of all, I can't trivia time. I'm just going to tell you right now. I, I, I brought up the Kempom page. I didn't realize this. Tyra Hero was the best foul shooter in college basketball his one season uh, at Kentucky. 93.5% made 87 and 93 shots. How about that? He was he was good, but P.J. Washington was better on that team. Ashton Hagens, well, uh, he had his moments. That was the Reed Travis uh, year. Well, I, can t- I can tell you this. Tyler Hero, because I did a whole segment on this today on radio, so I've got all the notes. Locked Tyler up. Hero was second on the team in scoring and first in minutes played. He was consistently showing flashes at Kentucky that he was going to be one and done and worthy of being taken in the top 20. I do remember that as the season wore on. He is so... I'm more surprised by what Hero is doing now immediately than Murray because Murray was a... See, okay, how about this? When I think back on Tyler Hero at Kentucky, and I would be interested to hear what Kentucky fans got to say, and if you're a Kentucky fan, drop us a review, uh, confirm or deny. I remember... The Murray, uh, the Murray era, if you will, no one calls it that. But when Jamal Murray had his one and none season at Kentucky, I remember him being a better player at Kentucky in college than Tyler Hero was. And that's not to say Tyler Hero wasn't good; he was good. But to me, Jamal Murray was the better college player. Now, I will say this: like what Jamal Murray has been doing consistently, the dude has been going every single round, and what the Nuggets have done is absurd. And he's playing alongside. Just Jokic is just oh my god, man! Like I, I this is why I love sports. You got a dude like that who looks like that who can make those passes and and shoot that with that weird chicken wing shot. It's amazing. But Murray, it's like he's hitting this other zone. It is just unreal. So to me, even though Murray was the better college player, the level he has consistently elevated himself to in the bubble. Like, he's been the best of the three Kentucky guys you mentioned. He's been the best. Bam's had the best moment. Tyler Hero had, like, the second-best game in NBA history in the playoffs in terms of points scored only behind Magic. But Murray, to me, what he like, he is just straight-up reliable for the most part. It's been awesome to see, and it's, it's one of these weird things where it's good for, like, it's great for Cal, and it's great for Kentucky, and I don't know, I don't subscribe to this theory but I have heard I have seen a little bit and just maybe a little legit it's like this is great man how many how many championships Cal got at UK just one so far he's got all these dudes listen it's hard to win an NCAA tournament but this is um I, I promise you this like Kentucky didn't need any more advantages in recruiting and when this stuff happens <laughs> the beast only gets stronger it's just awesome yeah, I, I do think it, it cuts both ways to some degree because I've seen both comments. One is like, wow, Kentucky players are dominating the NBA playoffs. Um, and then I've seen, for every one of those, I've seen, my God, John Calipari had all these guys and he still only got the same number of championships as Kevin Ollie. <laughs> like, what are we doing? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that is factual, so, yes. So I've seen, and, and in the time frame that John's been at Kentucky, you know, it's not like nobody's won multiples. Uh, Jay Wright has, Mike Krzyzewski has, Roy Williams has. You know, yeah. uh, you know, Mike's got five, Roy's got three, Jay's got two. But since 2009, 2010, which lines up when John Calipari got to Kentucky and then within a matter of months was getting his brains beat in by Devin Downey, shouts. Um, Jay has won multiple, Mike's won multiple, Roy's won multiple. John's still stuck on one. Now, let, let me be fair. Um, he's been there 11 seasons. He's won six SEC regular season titles, six SEC tournament titles. He's only missed the tournament once, and that's when his best player 
suffered a seasoning injury. He's made four Final Fours, been to the title game twice. He won it on 2012. Like, nothing to be embarrassed about. But I have seen people, again, say both those things. My God, Kentucky is running the playoffs. And as soon as you read that one, you go, my God, how does John Calipari only have one national title with all of these dudes running the NBA playoffs? So, you know, again, it cuts both ways, but I do think it helps uh, in, in recruiting. And did you realize this, Norlander? And I didn't, and it surprised me when I saw Noah Kozlov tweet it earlier on Thursday. Do you know that no player who has ever played for John Calipari at Kentucky has won an NBA title. Is that is that an end around trivia time? No, I got a trivia time okay, coming up. But that the, is it, no John, one. John Calipari has had okay. thirty eight players selected in the NBA draft since arriving at Kentucky, including three number one picks. No Kentucky player under John Calipari has yet to win an NBA title. Now it should change this year. Only if you the Celtics it. win, right? Celtics have no UK players. Celtics have no UK players. Miami's got two, Bam and Tyler. Lakers have Anthony Davis and Murray. Who's the other? Denver has Denver has Jamal Murray. Yep, yep. There we go. So, okay. it, so it should change, but according to Noah Kozlov, at least, and and I went and sort of scrolled through it, and I I think he's right. I'm trusting him. No Kentucky player under John Calipari has won an NBA title yet. But trivia time. Okay. Okay. There is one former John Calipari college player who has won an NBA title. Can you name him? So only one player ever that Cal coached in college won a title. It's the only one I can come up with. Okay. My first instinct is uh, Camby. Is that right? I don't believe Marcus Camby ever okay, won an never NBA mind. title. Um, I was thinking maybe Camby got one on the back end of his career as a, as a bench guy. Um Okay, okay, okay. Uh, Edgar Padilla, Carmelo Travieso. <laughs> Travi- was, Travi- was Travieso, the- was Travieso uh, coming off the bench for those 99 Spurs? Anyone know? No? Okay. I, I don't think he had anything to do with that. Oh, Travieso, man, that's like your... Uh, that's that's the good stuff right there. Oh, I remember those guys. Oh. That's the thing where people... People, like, John got to a point where... His reputation was he just gets all the best players and then he wins with them. But those teams at UMass were just guys. Uh, but I mean, it was it was Camby, like Lou Rowe. But for the most part, he was just like it was like Marcus Camby and a bunch of guys. Let's go win thirty games. Uh, you're right, but uh, oh man, that's just Carmelo Travieso. Shouts to Carmelo. That was uh, the original Melo, by the way. He was. People don't realize that. All right, I do want to try and get this all. Let me think that think out loud. I'm trying to think on. Who won Memphis would have been drafted and then won. Am I, like, I know it's not D. Rose because he was Bulls. T. Wolves never won a title. He went to the Heat, and they didn't win it when he was there, right? So it's not him. And then who else would have been um, on Memphis? That It was a Memphis player? I, I got to be barking up the right tree here. It was a Memphis player. Is it gettable or no? It's gettable for It's gettable for me. you. I know that. I, do th- I, I, I was the beat writer. While for at least part of this person's career, so I know him. I you know. Um, I, I I'm not. I don't think I can get it here. You'll never. I don't, you, I don't, you'll, I don't you'll, think you'll CD, never. I know it's not CDR. I know it's not CDR, and 
Dozier for the championship did not happen <laughs> at the NBA level. I can promise you that. Um, you got me, man. I don't know who it is. Earl Barron. No shot. Don't even. Not a real person. Don't know who that is. <laughs> Played at Memphis, 1999 to 2003. Wow. He's from Clarksdale, Mississippi, seven footer, and um, went undrafted out of Memphis. Bounced around. But he was on the 2006 Miami Heat team wow. that won the title with D Wade and Check. Here's the thing, though. It's a hell of a when I say he was on, when, when, when I say he was on the team, he played eight games. Was he on the roster in the postseason? No, or at the very least, he didn't play. But he technically is a world champion. Hold on, is he though? Because this might be a classic GP incorrect trivia time, which we occasionally, by so. the way. I appreciate the listeners who will listen to a trivia time and then like they'll be they'll be like on a 36 hour delay with the podcast and send me or GP a note and be like, oh, by the way, that was wrong. What you guys did there. If because remember, teams have like sometimes they have thresholds. Do we know for a fact that Earl Barron owns a championship ring with the Miami Heat? Do we have that as a fact, GP? I, I, do you want me, you want me text him? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, um, I don't. I, I think he actually does. Because I feel like he was playing in one of those World Series of Pokers things, and it was a deal like, ooh, here's a guy with an NBA championship ring. But I will tell you this. For whatever it's worth, Wikipedia has Earl Barron listed as an NBA champion. All right. Wikipedia, obviously never wrong. I'd love some, uh, some shoe leather reporting from GP. Get it done. Next podcast, we get an update. Earl, Earl Barron. Er- didn't know he existed till two and a half minutes ago. Earl Barron is also... Um, I believe the first player John Calipari ever got caught on camera during a game calling a oh. an MF and P. <laughs> okay. The Memphis trivia never ceases uh, to amaze. Real quick here, that's a good trivia time, but I do want to follow up with that. I want to know. I'm I'm a little serious. Earl Barron, you got that championship ring? I gotta know. Um, our guy John Fanta, shouts to John. He interviewed Chris Mack for his podcast. Did you see this? I, I saw the part you are referenced, okay. going to reference, I believe. Okay, so let's just, we don't need to belabor the point too much, but it is, you know, we're talking Kentucky. I do want to attack this on the end of the podcast. Fanta asks Mac, hey, Kentucky, Louisville, you going to play that? Mac said, I don't know. I don't know the status. Again, this goes back to so many of the logistics of the schedule. Obviously, it's Kentucky and Louisville. They should try and play each other under any sort of circumstance. What I want your opinion on here, GP, is this. Mac said, we are due to host this season. We know we're not going to be able to have fans. It's almost certainly going to be the case there. Is it fair for us to host Kentucky this season without fans and then almost certainly next season when we play at Kentucky, there's going to be fans. So why don't we see if we can try and organize and just say, you know what, for this year, since we can't have fans, let's find a neutral site and then next year we continue it as normal. Louisville hosts in 21, Kentucky hosts in 22. Absent of that, he wouldn't commit to actually being a game. Your thoughts, what should they do here? They should do exactly what you just said. Uh, they should find a neutral somewhere in Kentucky and play the game and then get back on schedule next season. I, I agree with Chris that you don't want to waste, for lack of a better word, your home game with Kentucky in a year where you don't get fans. And we are starting to see that with some home and home series. Like, uh, you know, like, hey, we were supposed to start at home and home this year. Uh, let's just scrap that, and we'll 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 start it next year. Like you're starting to see some of Gonzaga that. Gonzaga and, and Texas see- have have done that very thing. There yes. you go. Right. So you'll see more of that. 
but like, who cares if Gonzaga and Texas plays this season? Like, it's, it's just, I mean, it, I, you know, I'll watch it, but like, whatever. But well, like, Kentucky, top, I know it's a top 25 matchup, but your point is well taken. It's not Louisville, Kentucky. It's not Louisville, Kentucky. Like, I, I think Louisville and Kentucky should play every season. And I, I agree with Chris that we don't want to play Louisville at the Yum Center in front of, I mean, we don't want to play Kentucky at the Yum Center in front of nobody. And then we got to go to Rupp next year and it's 21,000 people. I, that would be unfair. I agree. Now, I don't care much about fairness in the middle of a pandemic when it comes to basketball games, but I, I agree. So let's just call this one a, a neutral court. Play the game because it's 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 just a great game for the sport. And then next season, let's play at the Yum Center, and then and then we just we get back on on schedule after that. Okay, so let's let's get some predictions in here. Okay, there are three options: Kentucky plays at Louisville with no fans. Kentucky and Louisville play on a neutral court, or Louisville says, we don't want to do this. We'll play you a neutral or no game at all. And then Cal says no game at all. What do you think is going to happen between those three options? No game at all. So do I. Yeah. No game at and all. that they, I, I'm not, I don't want that. I want Kentucky Louisville really under any circumstance possible, but on a neutral would be cool. Especially if you, uh, the Kentuckians listen to this podcast that no doubt about it. They've got one or two venues that are in Kentucky, be it halfway between or whatever that they think would be like some just, Different venue would be cool, a one-time thing. That's what should happen. I will tell you this. I do not expect that if Louisville were to present that, that Cal and Kentucky would be like, and I'd love to be proven wrong, but I just don't think they'd be like, okay, we're good, neutral this year, back in your house next year. I Please prove me wrong with this, please, but I don't think that's the way it would go. I say Kentucky versus Louisville in Bowling Green. It's the battle of Bowling Green. There we go. The battle for Bowling Green. The winner gets a Bowling Green trophy in this one year. Falcons. There we go. I'm up for it. <laughs> go to Bowling Green. Cardinals and Wildcats in Bowling Green. I've never been to Bowling Green. Have you? I no, I don't know. No, I don't know. Remember. I don't know. Not intentionally, sir. <laughs> Nothing against Bowling Green. I just don't. I don't know that I've ever had a reason to be there, other than like I just might have been there on my way to Paducah or something. So you have been to Paducah. Okay. I feel like I had an aunt who lived in Paducah. I, I feel confident in telling you I've been to Paducah. Sure. Fair enough. All right. Let's uh, let's get out of here. Before we do, and before GP says the shouts, I do want to thank um, thank the listeners. We did get a few more reviews in there. Keep the reviews coming. All right. Keep them coming. It's highly appreciated. We can make some fun with them soon, but you guys are doing a great job with that. It is some sincerely appreciated, and uh, we hope that these kind of podcasts is just, you know, we're still trying to get to the season, but uh, if you like it, let us know why, and uh, slowly but surely march into November here. If you like it, put a ring on it. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF and Teagle legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thanks for listening to the Iron College Basketball Podcast in the middle of a pandemic once again. Can't thank you enough. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. You do that, we'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.